Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson and I'm the founder of Stack, the subscription service that delivers a different independent magazine to thousands of readers around the world every month. We held our independent magazine fair about a month ago now in the middle of May and this episode contains the audio from that day's final panel discussion on publishing with purpose. I was a little bit concerned that maybe we'd left it too long after the event to release this one, but listening to the conversation again took me straight back to that afternoon and all the inspiration and positivity that came from bringing a group of independent magazine makers together. I think you can also hear that it's the final discussion of the day. There's definitely a few seconds at the beginning where my brain is struggling to get into gear, but thankfully all the panellists are brilliantly eloquent and they just take over and explain what they do and why that matters. They're all trying to affect some kind of wider change in the world, and while the subjects they deal with are completely different to each other, I was struck by the fact that there's a lot of consensus between them in the way they actually go about achieving their goals. I really loved being part of this conversation, so I hope you'll enjoy hearing this panel discussion on publishing with purpose. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us uh, for our panel discussion about publishing with purpose. So this is the conversation uh, about magazines which are being made for some kind of uh, higher purpose to try to uh, influence people, uh, change the way they think about some things. Um, we are joined by uh, Eva Husseini, who is senior editor of Azima. Um, Ellie Jackson, who is founder and editor of the Movement Movement, and Nina Carter, who is co-creative director of It's Freezing in Play. So, let's start down at the end. Eva, can you tell us what is Azima and what makes it different to all the other magazines out there? Um, Azima is uh, an independent uh, print magazine. Uh, we're an online platform, a creative agency, and we also have. Uh, radio show uh, and our focus is um, West Asian, North African, South Asian uh, women and non-binary folks uh, as well as the diaspora and sometimes we reach beyond these communities as well. Um, what makes us different? I mean I think I don't think there is any other magazine really that has this really niche uh, focused uh, aspect to it. Um, and we always aim to um, tell the stories and experiences of the folks from these regions um, with a really honest and truthful and multifaceted approach. And I think that sets us apart quite a lot. Excellent, thank you. Um, Ellie? Um, yeah, so the Movement Movement um, is a magazine by and for women and non-binary people in sport. Um, it was founded on the, the fact that 92% of voices in sports journalism are men um, and even when women um, are telling the stories, again, there's a massive um, massive loss of the voices of the women actually doing sports as well. So it's also about platforming um, when it comes to like, athletes, platforming people that actually do the sports as well. So our cover star, Poppy Cleo, is one of the biggest um, names in rugby um, and she was able to write her own story um, for the magazine as well. Um, so not only that, but also just coming um, at sport with a more honest perspective. 
um, and also questioning the word sport in general. It's got a lot of competition and machismo attitudes attached to it as well. So you know, moving away from perfection and winning and competition um, and just being more inclusive, um, open and honest with the, um, with the dualities that sport has um, for something that's hopefully more engaging, more interesting for women because it's much more honest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and Nina? Um, so it's Freezing in LA is a biannual independent magazine um, and we publish slow journalism around climate and environmentalism. Um, and we started in 2018 kind of out of a, a bit of a, um, well we saw that there was kind of lots of writing about um, science and the climate of science and the science of climate and using kind of super technical uh, kind of slightly inaccessible language and then there was this other kind of group that was this protest group that was really um, had this kind of hot-headed attitude which is both were really really valuable but we kind of recognized that there was a big group of us that sit somewhere between them um, that are interested in uh, the science and are interested in kind of the activism but pe perhaps don't feel so comfortable in just kind of one of those um, groups so we wanted to draw a line down the middle and um, and find our space. So we, we didn't see any other magazine that was kind of doing that. So we, yeah, so we started them. Uh, and you've done a really great job of establishing yourselves. I think part of that is by sticking with it. The, like it really helps when you've got a few issues behind you. Also, I think you've really established uh, a voice. Like the, I mean, I, I think of it's freezing in LA. So we should explain. It's freezing in LA comes from uh, a quote uh, from Donald Trump, mm. like what two thousand and yeah, I think it was like two, it was earlier. It was before um, he was president. It was two thousand and fourteen, I think. And he um, on Twitter um, said that it was freezing in LA, so climate couldn't um, climate change couldn't exist because it was freezing in LA. Um, and we so we saw that, and and Martha, who's the editor, kind of like. Um, she had that, and I think she had that in the back. She's still got a little kind of screenshot of it, which is what we always go back to, which is where she pulled that out and had that in the back of her mind that when we knew we wanted to start the magazine, she was like, I have the, have the perfect name. Um, and so we, yeah, that's where the name comes from. In each issue, we um, find a different data set or kind of um, a different set of images and uh, or science that is kind of, um, that drowns that quote. So the, the data sort of, um, covers up the title essentially throughout mm, the magazine mm, which mm. we is something we change each issue yeah. Um, but yeah I, th I think that kind of um, trying to bury that denialism is something that um, has always st stuck throughout all of the issues we've, we've it, wanted to have that kind of slightly humorous tone that is yes. also got a serious serious approach well, so when I think back to how I felt when I saw the magazine for the first time mm. so it was kind of it was uh, Stitch, uh, the, the yeah. spam Stitch, wasn't it? It was much more kind of handmade and kind of zine-like, mm. smaller run. And I remember thinking, like, oh, this is an amazing response to this moron who is like over there. And it, it was like very much, very much of the moment and mm. of the time. But we're sitting here now, years later, and it sort of feels like it's freezing. LA has moved past. Like, you know, the, the initial kind of outrage and, you know, mm. everybody all around the world was, like, up in arms about Donald Trump. You've got your own thing now. Like, you're sort of, like, not dependent on that yeah. moment anymore. Yeah, that's not, it's interesting to hear you say, actually, because I think um, 
Yeah, when we started, it was it was like it was a real response to. We started in 2018, so it was like right in that in, and then kind of in that moment, and um, and we found that quote from a long time ago, and we, we yeah we we thought that that kind of made sense to publish it at that time. But since we've um, we published two issues a year in the first couple of years, it was more. Um, but when Trump left office, we did have a kind of big discussion about whether that was still mm. relevant, and and then we just kind of came to this point of realizing that this is Trump is a kind of is a symbol for a bigger bigger thing that's happening and a bigger group of people that are really really powerful and have a really loud voice and so we yeah we just still felt it was kind of uh, valuable and hopefully like you say I think we've tried to extract that quote and hopefully it sort of become the magazine rather than mm, rather mm, than mm, that always mm. kind of going back to mm. him and, and him sort of coming first yeah. or, hit, or that voice and that kind of statement being the first thing you think of. I, I guess this all goes to show like names are important mm. like what, what you call yourself really matters the movement movement feels like that matters because you're talking about not necessarily everyone being comfortable with the idea of sports and so reframing that as movement maybe like just tell us a little bit about the ideas there yeah I mean I think I mean this is it I mean the word sport is so loaded and I think you know we've, we've also spoken about how the word sporty and like being called a sporty person like people have called people said oh you're a sporty person or you're so sporty and I've been like oh no I'm not and it's like I do quite a lot of sport but there's there's so much attached to, the, to that word and I think I think it's a couple of things. I mean, there's 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 biases within that word as to what counts as sport and what doesn't. So I think you know people. I mean, this this magazine started just after lockdown and walking became like like a an unifying thing for the country and that was really important. And you know what? How far you have to walk before that becomes a sport? Or you know what makes a hike a hike and not a walk? And all of those kind of things. So it's that as well. Um, and then also you know people do different amounts of sports for different reasons and. You know, chronic illness is, is a big thing as well that, that that I talk about in relation to it. I have, I have a few chronic illnesses, and that's something that we want to explore as well as disability. And the amount of movement that those people should do is a, is a different amount. Um, sometimes it's the best thing you can do for yourself, and sometimes it's the worst. So, so that's an important part of the conversation as well. And then I think finally as well, there's just this this massive dangerous climate that's become attached to sport by by the patriarchy essentially and the machismo attitudes that we attach to sport and, and sport viewership as well. Um, you know, again, I've, I've already said that the stats for time sports journalism are really, really scary, but there's also these ideas, um, these machismo competition, um, perfectionism based around sport. And when you just relax that, you're able to have a more inclusive environment. Um, so yeah, movement is something that we all do. Nobody's ever gonna say that they don't move, whereas people have difficulty attach themselves to the word sport. Um, but movement is just always going to be a more inclusive thing um, and once people are included and then welcome to the conversation you've already got a much more exciting community for everybody to be a part of mm. men women non-binary mm. people everybody mm. and i guess with community you get to that other meaning of movement in terms of like a group of people coming together exactly. to do something yeah and i think that might have something to do with what you're doing with azima as well well so tell us about the name of azima and, and what that means azima is um it's actually um a name that you would name, like have for yourself, um, and I think so. It means strength and empowerment. And uh, Jamila, who is the founder, um, was in conversation with her dad, trying to figure out the name. And when he mentioned the Zemo, it was something that felt really fitting because that's the 
um, the goal was to, to create something that was empowering and different um, to the media climate that existed when she first um, started Azima, which was the uh, representation of um, West Asian and North African and South Asian women was really starved. We just didn't exist in those space, spaces visually and our stories. Um, so the name is really important in that sense, in that you know it's this uh, really ingrained um, aim and and just essence of Azima is to is to empower empower and show the strength of of the community. And, and do you have a sense? of what success looks like with the magazine. Is, is there a point that you get to where you're like, we did it, the, like we, we did the thing? Wow, what a question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's quite subjective because we're quite a small team and, and sometimes, I mean, you know, even creating the latest issue, that was like a huge success, but because we were the ones creating it, there was a moment where all of us felt really detached and it, it's a really strange relationship when you create something and you put all of your effort into it and when it becomes like a final uh, product or project, it can be, um, yeah, it's strange. Sometimes it can be underwhelming, sometimes it can be like surreal because it's like, wow, okay, it's done and it's in my hands and the the fifth issue is like a book, it's, it's incredible. Sorry, the fourth issue. Um, and so yeah, I don't, I don't know, success can be different for all of us in the team. It can be just the fact that we were able to, you know, do something really small and minute for the community or it could be like this huge thing that we've released. Mm. Um, but I think both are valid. I don't think we really, um, actually my answer is we don't really, um, focus on the success of things like mm -hmm. we know that the things that we do are really important and that's what drives us <laughs> well, so the, the, I guess one of the things I'm thinking of is independent magazines can be really great at doing some things yeah. but reaching a large audience isn't normally one of them because mm -hmm. you have like a small print run the like you know you're, you're not going to reach a huge number of people so then and you sort of touching it already in terms of like doing this thing that means something to a, quite a small group of people yeah. I mean is there another version so like with Azima when you're not working in prints like the radio station for example or something does the aim change at all with that because you're potentially reaching a larger audience um, well actually we end up uh, reaching smaller audiences when we don't focus on the print because we do like community events and we um, we do workshops and we we host like din like cute dinners and we just bring the community together and again it's just about aligning that focus on who we're trying to create a space for um, and and allowing them to just exist as they are within these spaces without um, all of these um, gazes or expectations of how to exist mm. as West Asian, North African, South Asian women, especially because of this rampant racism and Islamophobia and discrimination that is happening, uh, and especially, you know, being um, pushed by Tory policies and things like that. It's, it's really important for us to just, you know, f again, like measure that success in terms of how uh, safe the people feel mm. with Azima and the things that we do and what we contribute creatively or physically or mm. yeah. Mm. 
Uh, Ellie and Nina have both been nodding along. <laughs> is there, I mean, so, Nina, let's, let's think about mm. it's freezing in LA because you're, uh, you're talking about the climate crisis. Mm. I mean, like yeah. the biggest, most massive challenge that we face and you're making this quite small mm. independent print magazine. Yeah. Like, where do you sort of draw your kind of goals for what you're doing with the magazine? Well, that's, I mean, just lots of what you were, you were saying kind of resonated because um, we talk about ourselves as slow, slow publishing, which, to be honest, most indie magazines yeah, we, are yeah, because we, we do, do well. kind of publish twice a year, once a year. Um, and we do that partly because um, that's sustainable for us and, and the way that we work, but also because, like you say, there's a lot about this subject out there. It's everywhere, and, and um, I was having some conversations with people earlier about how it's... You, I mean, you don't have to go far to learn about this stuff. Um, but the reason that we wanted to start is we kind of didn't want to mirror that kind of same tone of voice. We didn't want to mirror the kind of, um, it's all about gas and oil, this is what you have to do, this is your list of, your to-do list. We wanted to kind of just inform people in a sort of different way and talk about how climate is affecting music, how it's affecting um, legislation, how it's, how, it's, how it's affecting kind of every aspect of life and not just um, a kind of barrage of the same things. We mm. get quite bored of here, or bored, tired, um, confused hearing the same things. So we wanted to kind of have a slightly fresher attitude. Um, and equally, we also publish slowly because um, we... I mean, kind of value and quantity when you're thinking about climate is tough. We we kind of absorb and engage with, in in my mind, too much stuff in this world, and so it's really we found it more valuable to kind of like try and slow that down a bit and and maybe reduce the kind of reduce the amount, publish quite a small magazine, and um, allow people to kind of digest that in their own time mm. rather than kind of like maybe publishing something every week or every um, month which feels like it would sort of mirror that tone of urgency that, that of course there's an urgency and, and lots of kind of climate groups and activists um, I think and, and like we've heard kind of maybe don't necessarily think that this pace is the right place to be going at but for us and we think for quite a lot of people that's the kind of place that we mm. think is, is best in terms of how we can actually progress the furthest and learn the most and mm. not kind of... Um, yeah, and not, not kind of just just tire ourselves down. Mm, mm. Um, but we did kind of like we had a moment in issue four where we worked with a um, that th we've mostly just been kind of just solo. But on issue four, we worked with um, Octopus Energy, and we produced a lot more issues than we ever had before. Um, and I think that idea of like kind of where success is or what value is d didn't necessarily grow because there was. You know, triple the amount of magazines we'd ever we'd ever made. It was really valuable. We did reach more people, and we worked with a, a group that gave us lots of kind of like insights. But sometimes the issues that have been the smallest, and we've had kind of like events that have been really intimate, and we've had really nice conversations with people, feel as as valuable. So I think it's um it's a difficult thing to like think about success, isn't it? Mm, with mm. um in terms of kind of metrics and like numbers. So yeah. And so, Ellie, you're right at the start of all of this. So I, I said this morning, we've got a publisher with us who, like, their magazine's just a few weeks old. So w when did it come out? Uh, the 23rd of April was the launch. Wow, right, okay. Yeah. New. Like, yeah, like weeks <laughs> old, yeah. So 
I mean, do you have a sense in your mind at this point of what like success is, or, or is this just something that you're doing to start to get started? Again, like every, everything you both said, it really resonates. It's really difficult to pin down. Um, it's kind of hilarious to be, I mean, even to be here talking about it now, two weeks after launch, that's, that's great. Like, <laughs> like the pressure's off, like it's fine, we're doing okay. Um, obviously with IndieMax, they're a nightmare to produce, so going to print was an amazing achievement and really, really glad we did it. I think, you know, in terms of the purpose of the magazine, it's the platform voices and to create a community and that's something that we're, we're gradually doing. Um, and, you know, somebody said to me the other day, um, I said the stat about 92% um, of voices in journalism being men and, and he said well yeah but that's changing and I was like well yeah because of this like th this is why like we need to keep doing that um, it doesn't it, you know change doesn't happen without people like, willing to do it so I think looking forwards at the moment and, and being in our, in our you know we're just learning to walk as a, as a magazine but I think you know, growing a community is really, really important, but also just changing the climate that we're a part of. Like, I I love sport, but a lot of the time it's a really ugly environment to be a part of. Um, so I think success probably just lies in creating uh, a larger landscape that, that I'm more excited to be a part of than I currently am. Um, and I think with IndieMax as well, as soon as you platform creativity, or you're you're doing a powerful thing. Um, and and yeah. it feels like you. I mean, you're. From the outside, it looks like this is you kind of catching a wave here. So you, so you've got Poppy Cleal on the uh, cover of your first issue. So she plays for Saracens and England, and the Women's Six Nations was on TV, like terrestrial TV. Was it for the first time this year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's getting a lot more exposure. The, I mean, is this, is this you being like very clever and going like I'm going to wait till just the right moment and then hit it, or is this just like you just happens that this is when you're doing it? Definitely not being clever. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, no, definitely not like that amount of strategy. It's amazing that there's that 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 women in sport is is is. I want to, I want to say having a moment, but it's 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 a ridiculous thing to say like to, that it's doing a fraction of what is allowed in the men's game. Like it's not having a moment. Mm, this isn't the moment. Mm, like mm, yeah, mm. great. It's been shown on TV. That's not <laughs> that's not a moment. Like there's so much to do. But yes, it's growing and that's great. And I I actually wanted to make a. A magazine for women's sport a couple of years ago and I and I spent kind of a year working out what that needed to be um, you kind of realized really early on that a print magazine by women in sport was USP that's ridiculous that shouldn't be a USP but it is mm. um, so you, yeah I realized that a couple of years ago and then I spent about a year just working out exactly what it was that if you're going to make a magazine by women I wanted to work out exactly what we as women wanted to see on the page so I spent a bit of time doing that and then last summer I was like okay great I need to make this and find women um, that will do that alongside me and then it took eight months to get to print um, so there's no there was no strategy and actually the fact that Poppy was playing that day was a logistical nightmare because she couldn't make the launch so there's definitely <laughs> no there was no strategy at all behind that um, so, how, so yeah. tell me how you begin at that point then when you're like okay so I've got the the desire to make this magazine, I need to put a team together, I need to go out to like, you know, an international sports star and persuade her to write the thing for this magazine that doesn't exist yet. Like, what's your process? How do you do that? I mean, like looking back, it's, yeah, I mean, I always say with these things that like you just have to take like each like to-do list step at a time and try and take it off. There's no way to like, just make a magazine all in one go. 
Um, when I made that decision, everyone was like, yeah, who with? And I was like, I'll work that out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, where did I start? Um, I started with a call for contributors and started looking for stories and started looking for people that were ready to tell stories um, and then built the brand um, as, as we went and started thinking about who, what we might look like and how to like move away from what women are being given in the sport climate so nothing too commercial nothing too glossy everybody looks the same like all that kind of stuff felt felt natural as we grew but yeah the first call was saying like who has a story to tell um and then with with the cover star you've you've just got to reach out it's it's, it's interesting the sports climate because my background's my background's a lot of um uh fashion and music stuff and pr is, is built into those climates um whereas sport it's it's really really different sports stars have coaches that will protect them with their lives and they're not really allowed to like go out of their training schedule so that that's been a learning curve like it's a really really different thing to get sports mm, um, stars mm. or, or people involved um but the thing is because of that because there's not really many people doing it women in sport are ready to, to tell their stories at the same time so once you are able to have that conversation it's um and they have some time it's it's a kind of a, a, a conversation that people were ready to be a part of yeah yeah so um, we've talked a little bit about Azima. Is it Azima FM radio yeah, station? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Um, and so that's like a, it's released online. Um, is it mainly through SoundCloud? Mainly through SoundCloud, yeah. But then you've also had stuff in the real world. So you've done a thing with Tate Modern, and you did a thing at the South Bank Centre. Like, how do all of these things come together? Is this the, are they reaching out to you and saying, could you come do this with us, or? Yeah, you're not yeah, 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 basically. Um, because I think it was um, through, you know, when we've done our own launch parties or events or collaborated with others, obviously people see what we're capable of doing in the space that we're able to, able to create. And that's how institutions and, and brands sort of, re that's why they reach out, because they know that we can do something great. But it has been um, a learning journey because we also realized that majority of institutions are actually quite exploitative in their ways and you know everyone knows about the fact that you know there are times when brands and uh, these um, spaces that want to work with you they only do so simply because you're not a white person and it's that you know tokenistic aspect to mm -hmm. it so mm -hmm. it's been you know a lot of learning and just being careful with how we approach these things and when something feels right, we always go for it. And like when we did South Bank last summer, that was one of the most incredible things. Like everyone felt so much joy, and you know all the DJs that we um, put on at the time as well. All of them had so much fun. The audience had so much fun. Everyone was just dancing and singing, and it was like at a time when dancing wasn't even allowed. It was like <laughs> everyone has to sit if you're going to come to an event. You have to sit because of like COVID and stuff. But no one was sitting down. And it was just so much fun to just break <laughs> so okay so I, I want to pick up on what you said about the concern that you're asked to be in a place yeah. because of your skin colour for example you're obviously trying to push and promote like a magazine a movement like there you know you want to get yourself out in as many places as possible yeah. but not at all costs so how do you begin to navigate that it's difficult, and especially because uh, we are an unfunded platform, we all work voluntarily, 
and you know this is we're a really small team this is something we do from our hearts rather than you know uh, any other reason so it is difficult because at times projects come through and it might be uh, brands that have quite pl problematic aspects to them but we sort of have to navigate how uh, our audience will react to that um, it could be you know it could be that we're asked to create a campaign around like a specific uh, product that's been released and that product is really serving for the community that we re mm. we represent and we know that our community will go and you know engage with this product so we you know it's natural for us to pick up that project mm. um, but there's also been times where we've said no because something just simply doesn't fit and we know that um, the the intention is not genuine and when we pick that up and it's it, it's quite easy to know. It's mm. quite easy to see when it's genuine and when it's not. And yeah. Uh, and so, is it, so you're talking about like uh, creating campaigns. So we should also say you have the agency side. Yeah. So that's do. that's where all of these as, uh, aspects come in when we work on agency projects. Um, the print. And, sorry, go on, go on. Sorry, no. I was just going to say the print magazine will always sort of be quite separate because it's it's. Um, it just exists as a separate thing. It's where we um, really honour the stories and experiences and voices of the the people that we've included in the magazine, um, and it's it's so diverse. It's like folks from all across the region, minority groups, and and touching on subject mat matters that are usually excluded and not even considered. And the fact that we're able to create that space is really incredible. Mm. Um, but yeah, I guess like. The more of the learning side of things comes with the agency because again like the uh, within the team this is just something that <laughs> we created for ourselves like none of us actually come from that background where we have worked as like in agency agencies previously um i remember i think it was like just before the pandemic and jamila was like right we're gonna make a creative agency and it'll be good it'll be fun and we were like yeah okay <laughs> so it's it's literally just yeah when things feel natural we just go for it and we take the risks and and yeah the reward has been nice so, so i've i've done some work in creative agencies and a huge part of the job is going out and pitching and trying to win yeah the work are you having to do that or are you still in the position where you allow people to to come to you um I think it's been a little bit of both. Like I, I think it's more us being approached simply because of who we represent. Um, but yeah, there has been a couple of times where we've sent sent out ideas, and uh, it's been the different rep responses each time. And again, it's just about learning as you go because uh, that's that's what this whole experience has been mm. for all of us. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, so um, the latest issue of It's Freezing LA has mm. just been released, and you mentioned working with Octopus Energy before. Mm. For this one, you partnered in a slightly different way with a different organisation. So, maybe yeah. you tell us about that. Yeah, we so we have worked with Octopus for um, two issues, sort of se separately, um, and that's been um, mainly they've written a piece for us about um, their energy or they've written a piece about how energy is looking in the UK. Um, but for this issue, we worked with the Welcome Collection and we were, um, instead of them kind of funding us and their name just being in the magazine, we um, worked in a slightly different way and we wanted to 
kind of co-published five of the pieces, so five of the articles, we usually have about 11 or 12, five of them were co-published um, on welcome.com, um, which, is, which is a really, really exciting way to work actually for us to kind of um, to have the insights from them and kind of learn um, from their perspective. So Welcome is a kind of health, um, health uh, institution. They look at kind of health and, and, and wellness. And we were, what I was saying to you earlier, is we, we kind of have a, a theme for each issue from quite kind of early on. And that's mainly driven by the contributors and what they're interested in. So um, we open up for submissions and we sort of see what people are interested in in climate. And that's been... We've done migration, we've kind of looked at um, tons of different things. And so this issue, from the outset, knowing that health was going to be our um, focus was a really lovely line that kind of meant that there was a really clear thread through that we were able to learn from Welcome and kind of understand what they knew about health and climate um, and also bring something to the table and kind of um, tell them what lots of people were, were thinking about um, in the public. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it was a really... Uh, Elliot, have you had to deal with brands so far? So Felicia was talking earlier with Season Zine about how basically going through brands is how she often gets the footballers who are in the magazine. Is that the same for you too? I mean, so Issue Zero, it, the reason it's Issue Zero and not Issue One is because it's ad-free um, and it's had like no sponsorship, which is why it's an Issue Zero and not an Issue One. Um, being that we've been able to show what we can do with no budget, no sponsorship, no ads. Um, so that's kind of a, a plan and a, and a foresight for issue one. Um, and kind of the good thing about sports is it's, a, it's an easy landscape in terms of what brands that exist. Um, and there are, you know, people and brands and agencies that, that have been really complimentary about it. Um, but moving into issue one production, um, it's just about making sure that I mean, it's obvious like that there's an alignment there and mm. and that um, again the brand isn't doing it just because we're women and that's the box to tick this year you know it's just to make sure that there's an alignment there um, and it's a two-way street you know um, so so that's something that we're like working out at the moment and making sure that um, the right alignment um, happens and, and and also the right the right projects come out of it mm. collaboratively. Mm -hmm. I guess that always comes sorry Steve, with with pub, with kind of publishing with purpose or like with with what all of what we all do is like that anyone we work with the reason we're making this is because it needs to exist and so um, there are brand, of like of course brands that are, have an interest in that and it's really like a really weird awkward thing to like try and work out because mm -hmm. everyone has the sustainability campaign at the moment. Um, and for us to kind of work out what the, yeah, we don't really work with many people and we kind of definitely, we don't work with kind of like product, anything that's like product based and it has to be kind of like a, um, a kind of think, <laughs> think based thing, which is why Welcome felt really right. But like, there's definitely been mistakes along the way with people we've collaborated with where we've, after collaborating, actually realized that their intentions were definitely not in the right place. But with what we're doing, because it's um, because it's sort of less personal to the team, um, in a different way, I think, to, to the way that you two are making something, um, we have also kind of had that conversation of being like, do, do we want to use their money and take their money and kind of actually mm. try and platform something in a different mm. way and have a mm. conversation with them? When we're in that room with them, can we then have a conversation that is trying to push them in a better direction than trying to sort of greenwash? Um, 
but it's a yeah hasn't always worked and it's kind of like like you say it's a gut thing but I think sometimes it is like a quite a fine line mm. that is like difficult but because what we're all doing is like relevant yeah. it's it's like always going to happen yeah yeah um, I'm going to um, ask for questions uh, from the audience in just a minute so please be thinking about stuff that you want to ask but um, I'm really interested in the way that the purpose of the magazine kind of shapes what the magazine is and so mm-hmm. with It's Freezing in LA I think it's really notable that the magazine that you're making now, so I said like that first issue was mm. like kind of stitched, but from the second issue it was stapled mm. and it stayed at that. The, yeah. It stayed the same <laughs> size, it stayed the same yeah. pagination basically mm. I think. And as I understand it, that's because of sustainability. The mm. like you, your uh, take on it is we can't make a magazine about sustainability that's not absolutely as sustainable as it can be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting the way that our ideas of what is attractive then change mm. from that. What I mean, you're the designer. Yeah, what sort of yeah. decisions are you having to make to create a product that is attractive and people yeah. want to buy, but is absolutely adhering to your standards? Yeah. Well, it's like you say. From I mean, our first issue, like when we look back, it had a completely different tone of voice. There was quite a lot of space, and it was stitched, but we only had two hundred and fifty copies, so it was like. I mean, it wasn't, well, it didn't work in the sense that we spent hours and hours hand <laughs> stitching all of these, all these magazines. But so that was the reason why we suddenly went to stapling. We were like, we can't do this with. I mean, because we we worked with you for issue two, mm. and so our numbers jumped, and we were like, we're not stitching no. uh, many thousands <laughs> of copies. Um, but in terms of the yeah, the, the size, we worked really closely with the printers. So we worked with a printer called the Sustainable Print Company, which is um, for the for the early issues, which is based in um, Essex. And um, he was really helpful in just kind of us. He's the expert in print, and so we were kind of just like, what would a size be that is kind of has the least offcast or mm. has mm. Um, that we can print on this specific kind of recycled paper? Um, and he was really helpful in just kind of being like it would be a little bit smaller than a B5 which was a kind of like a slightly awkward size in some ways but we just if that works then it mm. works and so yeah we sort of um, from from that point we, we came up with the sort of size and the um, binding and, and how we printed so using veggie inks or soy inks and um, and understanding that and, and to an extent that can only go so far we can't kind of always print super neon colours because they're generally not natural mm. inks mm. or um, yeah, the kind of paper we use um, but in terms of the design yeah, it, it fed in from the second issue where we had a bit of a almost a bit of a rebrand quite quickly because we realised that the, the first issue was, was really set our tone and, and kind of pushed us but we had quite different visions in terms of the design and and what we could do and how people have picked it up that we kind of thought we could communicate more clearly um and so yeah me and me and matthew who always is the other code code creative director we um sort of created a bit of like a a recipe of of everything that goes into each article so we've got like infographics and and art the article and the text and also illustrations um and we tried to find a bit of a, a sort of uh, yeah, it's a recipe of putting different elements in and working out how they can all sit alongside each other, kind of in the most sustainable way, not kind of just wasting lots of space, I guess. Mm-hmm. But then also recognizing that blank space isn't wasted space, um, and space to kind of breathe and, and think is really useful when you're kind of reading about something like this. So um, yeah, we we have quite like a tight layout, which is 
locks everything together quite um, quite clearly. But that has yeah, it has sort of stayed pretty similar. But over the years, we've introduced different some different elements. We're thinking sort of, sort of about photographs a little bit and um, the changing the pace as well because I think like we had that recipe that worked quite well and and it's quite easy to get comfortable hmm. with what you're doing. I was speaking earlier to one of the other magazine makers about when you have a because this is a side thing for everyone we all have other jobs as well um you get into a routine of how you make something and it's quite easy to sort of stick in that um and so to throw something else in the mix and be like how would we deal with photographs or how would we deal with spoken word or whatever mm, it may mm, be and mm. just kind of try and shuffle it up a bit because um it's quite easy to just realize that being time efficient is is useful but actually changing it can be quite useful as yeah. well so I think that's um, particularly I mean we're having a, we've got our 10th issue next year um, and it's very nice for us to have those those sort of 10 being quite um, being a sort of group but who, who knows you know in the future what will how, how we might kind of reconsider what are how we communicate so thinking of Zima in relation to that so it's feeding LA it's just like small staple band magazine Azima is this big thick perfect band magazine if anything that feels like it's saying to me like this is substantial like the you know it's kind of like this is taking up space basically yeah. like are you trying to make something that is like saying yeah you've got to pay attention to this I, I don't think the size was intentional it was just the fact that we were the thing with the magazine is it's just our fourth issue and we've created we've uh, we've existed for five years so again similar to it's freezing in LA we're slow journalism and um, you know we have our online platform as well that we've kept active throughout the years but this we had a really long break between the the latest issue and the previous issue before that it was like two 2018 was the the one before it so it was a really long break and when we decided to make this new issue it had to be with intention and, and the content had to be timeless it had to be stories and and uh visual uh the uh, the visual aspect and the and the writing aspect they had to be um things that were timeless and we it could be something that we could release at any point and people could read at any point and it would still be relevant um so yeah, it was the yeah there was never like an intention of like we were gonna create this massive book, but as we were sort of commissioning people and thinking of ideas and and you know creating uh, photo shoots, it just all started piling up and adding up, and then it just became this. I like I don't call it a magazine. I think it's a book. It's <laughs> basically a really amazing book that we've created. Um, and yeah, there would there were so many times when we like pushed back the deadline because like one of us would be like, I have an idea, and then <laughs> <laughs> I think it was the final shoot when we were like, yeah, we're done now, no more shoots. <laughs> and this is throughout lockdown in 2021. Like when we were creating the magazine from October 2020 up until uh, the end of summer last year, it, we were going through like multiple lockdowns, mm. multiple. COVID rules and we were still you know creating this uh, book so there were so many challenges to it but even then um, there was like the final shoot and we were like yeah we're done now and then like two days later Jamila like we're on a zoom call and 
she was like, I have an idea for a final shoot. <laughs> we were like, okay, like, let's just do it. <laughs> it's just one more. Um, so, and that, w that ended up being one of our covers. So it was, you know, it's, and, and it was like an amazing shoot as well because we literally involved the whole community. It was, it's like this huge shoot with 40 uh, women and non-binary folk and they're just like surrounded by these cars and everyone's wearing white and you know, it's just super cute and powerful and amazing for that to even exist as an image because it's not something that we've ever even seen ourselves mm. being from the art world, from the fashion world, from the culture publishing world whatever mm, it is mm, mm, mm. Um, so yeah I think it was just more like you know we want to create content we, we have to be delicate and sensitive because of who we represent and that also takes a lot of time um, and and also like just being understanding of the fact that there's always going to be these smaller voices that exist and how can we reach those and how can we you know allow people to learn about these people or communities or you know stories mm. and experiences uh, through our magazine mm, mm, mm. Um, yeah <laughs> there's something as a reader sorry sorry again jumping in <laughs> there's something as a reader reading Azima that um, a reader reading Azima that it um, I'm so glad you're a reader the, uh, <laughs> that, the like the the vo like the volume of it um, and how many stories there are and how different the stories are and some of them are long and some of them are short um, that feels really valuable in kind of like recognizing how important these stories are and how many different stories there are. Yeah. So I actually think like seeing how big that volume is, it's like um, that book is. It it like to me it it really like um, respects what it's like about. So I think it as a reader that makes a lot of sense. It being kind of like having that like shiny like it's really really carefully produced and Thank you. it's Thank taken you so a long much. time. So yeah. Ellie, you've got one issue out so far, and it's your issue zero. But hearing Nina talk about this like rapid redesign, like you know, really early on, do you think will, will issue one look and feel a lot like issue zero? Or have you got plans already for what you do differently? Uh, it'll be bigger. Um, yeah, that's kind of it. <laughs> we're at a cool place where it's like we're able to think about. I mean, this is the difficulty about starting a first issue. You, you're making decisions, and you're like, is this a forever decision? Is this an issue one decision? Is, and so I think there'll be lots of decisions that we've made on this issue that will carry through and become a theme um, throughout throughout the larger project. Um, but yeah, I mean, this this was a project that was made, as I say, on with no money and, and, and all those kind of things. So yeah, I, I see the next issue being being bigger. Um, but also, it's been really interesting being here and talking about like actual tangible logistics of magazine making. So one of the things that you know I'm I'm really thinking about is how a bigger, a thicker magazine will fit into like a similar size envelope, and will that change printing costs, and will that change postage costs, and all those kind of things as well. So, um, ish, yeah, that's my answer. <laughs> it's quite fun having like the fact that the purpose of the magazine is the point of the magazine. Yeah, is that it doesn't. What we found, like, the fact that we changed, our cover changed completely. I mean, like, I don't know if you've seen any out there, but they're, the rest of them are all kind of follow the same pattern of the big title with some graphics. The first one isn't there. It's, like, had this kind of tiny, tiny, it's freezing LA in the top corner, and then it completely changed. But I think the fact that the, the sentiment and what we were saying was the same meant that um, that, that, is what it's, that is the brand, and it, it kind of doesn't really 
for us anyway, it's been quite, I mean, like you say, we have kept some things um, similar, but being able to have the kind of freedom to change things and play, and because you're an indie mag, you can. It's a yeah. really, like, that's a really nice thing, yeah. I think, really nice part I of it. Also, as long as like your ethics and aims and mm. you, the reason you're creating this in the first place is consistent, then having that artistic license to play around yeah. is absolutely fine. Yeah, it's nice. I, yeah, I mean, being your being your own client, it's that's, yeah. that's really quite freeing about that. I think as well. It's your magazine. Do you want? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Do we have any questions? I have lots more, so don't worry. We can just carry on. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, so I'm really interested to know, like, obviously you pour huge amounts of time and effort and everything to making this magazine and making it as good as you can. But there's always something that it comes back and you wish you'd done something differently. Like, what, if anything, could you change about the magazine? So, mm. would you change if you could? I think the nice thing is that you can you can because you just have another issue and you <laughs> like like you just do it next time but I think that, yeah, there's definitely lots of kind of like practical things or like collaborations or um, people we've worked with where the tone hasn't maybe actually looking back on it hasn't felt quite right mm -hmm. and um, that's a shame but equally it's helped us understand what we need to do going forward I think um, yeah so I think like I guess it just gives you ideas of how you can develop next time so there's, I, there's nothing that you have where you're like I mean oh, there's loads no, <laughs> yeah, no there's there's a couple like we have had um there's moments which still float around in my head about we've we've um we had um Caroline Lucas from the Green Party write in our third issue maybe and we've had Nadia Whittam write in the latest issue um or someone interview Nadia Whittam and so we, we've kind of like covered a couple of political parties, but we really, as our kind of statement um, goes, is that we really want this to be kind of like a, a really open platform. And so there's been moments where we've been like, do we want to platform people that don't agree with us? Mm. Which I think mm. we, we kind of do to an extent in that we want to, we don't want to be an echo chamber and kind of like be this, this group of people that all agree with each other and, and we would really like to have voices that challenge that a bit and, and, and maybe challenge the reader a bit in trying to really work out what, what they agree with and not kind of just, just reading. So I think that's something I, I would love to see alongside a piece from mm. someone like the Green Party, mm, someone mm. kind of challenging that and maybe an opinion piece that... Um, but then that's... We're a small team and a team that care a lot about it and so there's 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 definitely people that kind of would rather the way paper not be wasted <laughs> but I think there's yeah there's lots I think that that I would like to kind of change drop Nigel Farage a line yeah I'm exactly sure I'm sure he'd, he'd be keen he wants to be everywhere <laughs> Ellie it's maybe early days for you but the like is there anything from issue zero and aside from the size that you'd really like to change um Uh, I mean, obviously, I, I don't think it's a perfect product, but to be able to go to print is is massive. It's like everybody knows here; it's not easy to print a magazine. So, yeah, I mean, I just yeah, going forward, I want there to be more voices platformed. Um, I'm really proud that we have women. It's such a diverse group of women in the magazines, and we have. Um, 
women with disabilities in the magazine as well, um, women um, across all different faiths, um, across different backgrounds. Um, I was also really proud that we had projects from outside of London and that was really important to me as well. Um, so that's something that I just really want to make sure is, is always consistently at the heart of it as well. And as we grow um, stories, I mean, one of the main things that I'm really excited about is, 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 is going much further than, when this is a Europe-wide project, so going, um, thinking more globally as well, I'm really excited about that. Um, and also being able to go to parts of the world where women's sport isn't just like undersubscribed, but is, is actually... Mm. Uh, made impossible for women as well. I'd love to explore that as well. So yeah, I just want to go bigger really and, and make sure that with it growing it stays inclusive and, and make sure it obviously with me behind it, it's just really important to me that it stays true to its, mm. its core values, I think. And Eva? Um, I, I genuinely don't know. Like I, I think I think if anything is the biggest regret is probably n not having the funding to create an even bigger <laughs> <fund>. <laughs> because genuinely there's just so much to to show and tell from our region and and I think yeah I guess it's just about making another fucking issue sorry <laughs> <laughs> it's a good five out in a month <laughs> right. that's a positive note for us to end on so um, thank you all so much for coming to talk about the magazines thank you all for coming and listening um, and I hope that we'll see you again at something like this again in the future Okay, that's all for this week. I would like to say thanks again to Eva, Ellie and Nina for coming along and sharing their thoughts about what they do. I know I said this at the start, but I found the whole day really inspiring and I think this was a great way of finishing it off. If you haven't already heard them, you can catch the other two panel discussions from our independent magazine fair in our podcast archive. Just scroll back in your podcast app and you'll find them there alongside loads of other conversations with independent magazine makers. We're not going to have any more episodes for a little while now. Um, we may well return with something new in autumn, but I'm still trying to make that happen. So in the meantime, you can keep up with us via Twitter and Instagram at Stack Magazines. Uh, or, of course, you can sign up for our surprise magazine club at stackmagazines.com. And remember, you get 10% off your first payment on any subscription when you use the code podcast when you sign up. Thanks very much for listening to this one. Have a lovely summer and I hope we'll be back with another episode in the autumn.